Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and I hope you're having a wonderful start to your 2019. Back on the podcast grind here to talk sports. Got two special guests to help me do just that. A lot to discuss with Jose Young's MMA fighting writer. We talk UFC 232, John Jones winning the white heavyweight title, Amanda Nunez knocking out Cyborg, and what's on tap in the fight game for this coming year. Some fights we're looking forward to seeing. And we're talking Wrestle Kingdom 13. We have to. Jose Young has been waiting for a long time for this one. I'm excited as well. Tanahashi, Kenny Omega, a stacked card to say the least. There's a lot going on. Okada, Jay White as well. Jose breaks that down on this episode. And I'm going to talk to Chris Miller about the NFL coaching carousel. Eight coaching jobs opened. A lot to break down there. We recap the regular season and then make our NFL wildcard playoff picks on this episode of the Money Mitch Effect. It's Jose Young's first, followed by Chris Miller. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, he's a writer at MMA Fighting, and also I think maybe safe to say, it's debatable, but the biggest New Japan wrestling fan on the West Coast, Jose Young's back again. Jose, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. Hey, what's up? What's up, man? I'm always happy to be on, and it's it's definitely up for debate. I might not even be the biggest New Japan fan on the site. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. I have it tattooed on my body. I'm all about it. But Mark Raimondi, Esther Lynn, and Casey from MMA Fighting are actually in Tokyo right now for Wrestle Kingdom. Wow. Uh, and then, of course, did uh, Dave Meltzer writes for MMA Fighting too, and. He's uh, he's been covering New Japan as uh, professionally as a journalist since the 70s. So I love me some New Japan. I'll put my name up there with any of the fans. But those those four man, they take it they take it to another level. Well, and uh, and I definitely think you're bringing some new blood into it. This is one of my favorite traditions is talking about this pay per view. Now the second time we're going to do this. Um, and before we get to UFC, I do want to point out that I think. I think I got three of your four Mount Rushmores. It's it's mixed martial arts, New Japan Pro Wrestling, the Boston Red Sox. I don't know what your fourth biggest pet. And probably comic books, right? Is that yeah, I'd say yeah. Com- comic books for sure. Definitely in the, would probably be round out the top four. Okay, yeah. I mean, we haven't also talked since you won another World Series. so. Oh, not, baby. I'm don't think gonna, I had not, it forgot. Don't I, think I had it forgot. I'm bringing it up, and then we're never talking about it again. But no. <laughs> That's okay, uh, because it's going to live on for history. So ignore it all you want. It okay. happens. All right. I, I look forward to meeting your <laughs> hypothetical firstborn named Ben Attendi, but we have other <laughs> we have funny. other things that we have other things to talk about. UFC, we start a new year with that. I, I have to talk to you about this past weekend's pay per view two thirty two because it it did a lot of different things uh, for the for the mixed martial arts world. Mm-hmm. Number one being I can't remember a uh, entire pay per view changing in, in venues in that short of notice. Is that a first for you? Am I off base here? But I can't remember. Just going from Nevada for Nevada to California, largely basically solely because of the John Jones situation. This is the first time I've seen it uh, happen because of a, of a fighter. That's like they've had to change stuff before, like in the dark ages of the UFC. Uh, it's mostly because of rules and regulations and stuff like that. So, like the UFC would have an event planned, but then like the the athletic commission like wouldn't sanction some things. Or th- this was like pre Dana White. This is like way back in the day when it was still like considered human cockfighting in a lot of states uh, bans mixed martial arts but this is the first time i've seen it in like the dana white led era it's the first time i've seen it happen because of 
because of a fighter. Like this happened because of John Jones. Like there's no way around it. Uh, if John Jones hadn't had those weird test levels uh, pop up, then it would still be in Las Vegas. Uh, what? Why they moved it to LA is beyond me. I think Cyborg versus Amanda Nunes, which was the co-main event, uh, would have been fine as a main event for uh, UFC 223 by itself and just kept it in Vegas. And considering UFC 233, which was supposed to be at um, in Anaheim at the Honda Center uh, in January, was canceled because they didn't have a main event. Uh, if, if I was Dana White, I would have just pushed Dana, uh, John Jones Gustafson to the January date, just push it back less a couple weeks. Uh, and then that serves as the the headliner that they didn't have. You could still hold it in California. John Jones would still get licensed because it's California. Uh, and then the fighters wouldn't have been taxed so much because of the move from Vegas to L.A. But or Englewood, I should say. I know I got a lot of hate for that on Twitter <laughs> for for mixing those two up. But uh, I'm not in charge of the UFC. And at the end of the day, it was a good card. It was just a weird situation. Yeah, a lot of moving parts there. Uh, having it at the Forum, not at Anaheim. Two thirty-three getting canceled. The, the move to ESPN. I know. I know they wanted their fight card with the Dillashaw Cedillo yeah. fight on there as well. I, I don't want to be a math guy either, but you know, you talk about the income tax levels that you have to pay in California. I know a couple of fighters brought that up when Nevada being a personal income tax free. So it was it was a lot to process, but we saw two good fights at the end of the day. It was uh, it was exciting, and I'm going to actually start which, with the bigger story to me is I think we are getting closer to crowning a new goat in women's mixed martial arts history. Oh, I don't think it's work. It's closer. I mean, Amanda Nunes. It's official. She for is you? the great. She is okay. the greatest women's fighter of all time. I mean, I don't think there's an argument against it. Um, I would like to see her rematch Valentina uh, because the the second fight was so close, and there is a lot of argument that Valentina won the, the rematch. Uh, which I actually had her winning the rematch, but it, it, it wasn't it wasn't controversial to me. It was like 50-50. And then Amanda Nunes has never fought Holly Holm. I think if she beats those two, she just she she affirms that she's the greatest. Like right now yeah. in my mind, she is the goat. If she beats those two, I think it settles all of those questions right. out there because she does have four losses. Uh, professionally she does have that loss to Kazangano too yeah and I wanted to also just point out before we get to the actual fight the Valentina side of it was what's kind of keeping me at about 50 50 I have a lot of respect for what Cyborg's done in her career I think Nunez Valentina I was with you I thought that Valentina won a close fight but we talk about controversial controversial decisions in boxing and UFC all the time didn't really have a problem with that one just yeah my me personal, neither. personal preference but she finished Cyborg in a, about a minute Quicker than she finished Rousey, and that was jarring to me. I, I was wrong. I picked Cyborg to win this fight. Thought Nunez could win it. Didn't expect that. Didn't expect her to just take her out so quickly. So, I mean, there's nothing more to say. Nunez just dominated and, and deserves all the credit and all the praise. And, and if people claim she's the GOAT already, it's hard to argue that at all. Yeah, I mean, watch. beat Rousey less than a minute. Beat Cyborg less than a minute. Uh, has beaten Valentina. Uh, she's beaten Misha Tate. She's beaten Raquel Pennington. I mean, like the who's who of the of the bantamweight yeah. division. She's just she's not only won like outside of that Valentina win, all of her wins have been like like dominant. Like she's like she's crippling these girls. Like she hits harder than some men. Uh, obviously, I'm not going to jump on like say she'll beat most men in the UFC, but she's she's up there for greatest fighters, not even just women's fighters. I mean, you, sh she belongs in the top 10 pound for pound, regardless of gender. Yeah, no, that's 100% true. And, and what she's been able to do becoming a double champion, 
it was it was just remarkable to see. And, and I'm I'm somebody that likes to look at the whole resume. And, and you mentioned four losses, but what she's done, I'll I'll definitely say this: it's the greatest run in women's and, and even men's mixed martial arts. It's right up there with any run that any man's ever had in the last two three years. What she's been able to do. Yeah, and considering like th- at this, we're at the end of the year now, and over here at MMA fighting, we're all working on our end of the year list, like knockout of the year, submission of the year, fighter of the year, so and so. If it wasn't for Daniel Cormier, Amanda Nunes is a clear fighter of the year in my mind. Uh, but Daniel Cormier is also the double champ. He's he's fought both weight classes, defended both weight classes. So Daniel's obviously number one, but I'd like to put Amanda one B right behind him. Yeah, no, it's it's very fair, and, and I see the other side of that argument as well. Just a little aside, uh, you mentioned your end-of-the-year stuff. We know what knockout of the year is, because that was pretty Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, uh, Yair Rodriguez knocking out Korean zombies, probably the greatest knockout I've seen ever in mixed martial art. Maybe, like, combat sports history, so that's going to be knockout of the century. A walk-off knockout, if that even exists. That's pretty A walk-off knockout. Was after being down on all the judges' scorecards with two seconds left in the fight. And they dapped like and they dapped like right before. That that to me was like, okay, what what is happening? I That's need, also that yeah. was my pick for fight of the year. Like knockout mm-hmm. fight and comeback of the year. All right all in those two seconds. So wow. unbelievable performance. And I was there too, so it obviously holds a special place in my heart. Hey before and, and Jose, before we get to Jones here on and Gustafson on the money Mitch Fett, Money Mitch effect. There was another fight that I know that you were you were watching and, and really enamored with, and it kind of got overshadowed uh, by what happened in the co-main events. But Volkanovski, what that oh, guy yeah. did to Chad Mendez. I mean, this is he's got one loss. He's on a heater. Mendez has done a, amazing things in the UFC. That was as one-sided as it gets. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because uh, here at MMA Fighting, uh, our lists are broken up by. Each each writer gets assigned like a list to write, and I've been assigned the breakthrough fighter of the year. And Volkanovski is sitting at number five right now on my list, so uh, he definitely blew me away with his performance. I obviously, I obviously, I, I picked Chad Mendez to win. He's one of the greatest featherweights ever. I uh, was coming off that dominant win over Miles Jury, and it was a great fight. Uh, Mendez obviously, I think. I think Mendes won the first round, uh, but Volkanovski just plowed through him in that second round with the second round TKO. Uh, he belongs in the top five, and I'm. It's exciting because uh, a lot of people say featherweight is shallow, and Max Holloway doesn't have anyone left to fight. But the top of the featherweight division is rapidly changing from the Jose Aldo's, Cub Swansons that we've saw for so many years to now having Volkanovski, Moicano, Zabitz coming up. Yair's obviously up there, so featherweight is low key. I think featherweight is going to be really exciting in 2019, and Volkanovski is going to be in the mix the entire time. Yeah, we got. I think the top ten, top five is getting deeper. We'll see who oh, yeah. emerges to be the the number one contenders here. But yeah, I think there's some real depth at that division. Uh, as we as we look now, Jose at the main event of that of that fight card, Jones beating Gustafson TKO in the third round. Um, not as much drama in this one. Last time they fought, it was the toughest test of Jones's career. I think anyone would agree with that. But in this case, it was a third round takedown. It was one key takedown, and, and Jones. Jones owns that, mauls him in the third round. But I'll start with this, Jose. I, I know he's been through a lot, Jones, and, the, and a lot of it's self-harm and self-inflicted. And as Dana White said, one of the biggest screw-ups of all time, as well as maybe being the greatest fighter ever. But it is impressive to me that a guy can seemingly, with all the rust in the world building up, can just come back into the octagon, fight top-level competition, and win 
which he continues to do after these long layoffs. Yeah, well, to me, I think George St. Pierre is the greatest UFC fighter ever. Uh, he has He's the double champ. He's he's cleaned out an entire division, went up in weight to fight the champion and uh, after like four years off. But if John Jones hadn't been messing up his life so much these last so much. few years, it would be John Jones. I think John Jones is the most talented fighter I've ever seen ever. Uh, and even Daniel Cormier admits that, like, yeah, John is the greatest, most talented, naturally gifted fighter of all time. But he's always going to have that that those steroids and le- and like drunk driving and DUIs and hit and runs tied to his names, tied to his name. And it's a shame because he should be the greatest ever if he didn't lose all those years. But like John said all week leading up to it, that that time off, that time outside of the octagon preserved his brain physically. I mean, Daniel Cormier was in that war against Gustafson. Uh, he fought the heavyweight champion of the world. Like Gus, like even Alexander Gustafson had that fight against Glover and uh, Jan Blackowitz and everything. This whole time they're in these hard, long, drawn-out wars, and John Jones is healthy and training. So when he comes back, he doesn't have the mileage and the wear and tear on his body. So I think, yes, we did lose a lot of John Jones's prime years, but he's still in his early 30s. He's healthy. He took almost zero damage against Gustafson. He says he wants to fight three to four times in 2019 to make up for the missed the missed time uh, while he was uh, going through suspensions and getting arrested and everything. So I think 2019, uh, we're going to see the reemergence of John Jones uh, if if he stays on the right straight and narrow as the greatest fighter of all time. Yeah, athletically gifted. It's crazy to me too that he's what 31. It feels yeah. like he's been around forever, and he's only he's, 31. He's still the youngest champion in UFC history. Uh, he won it in 2011. Technically, he's never lost it. Uh, he got stripped of it, obviously, and then he beat Daniel Cormier and got stripped of, it, stripped of it again. And, yeah, Daniel is is technically he was the champion, and he, he didn't lose to John Jones because it was overturned to a no contest. But it's hard to forget John Jones head-kicking him at UFC 214. Like, yeah, that's not an L on the official record, but it still happened. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's technically one Oh and one, but we all know he's Oh and two against, or John Jones is two and Oh against mm-hmm. Daniel Cormier. And I don't think that's ever going to change. I think the person to beat John Jones is starting. isn't even in the UFC yet. Uh, that is wow. I mean, you're probably right, but that is a scary thing to think about that that they're not even on the promotions. Roster well, it's yet. even like John Jones is comes from the Jacks of Winkle, John Jim, and John like John Jones for years has said, "There's no better fighter in the world than myself in a rematch." I mean, they take everything they did wrong the first time and perfect it. And John Jones has the highest fight IQ I've ever seen ever mm-hmm. in fighting in, in MMA history. I mean, yeah, he's naturally gifted. He's strong. He's tall. He's quick. He has long reach and all that stuff. But his greatest weapon is he is so hyper intelligent inside that octagon to use his opponent's weaknesses and strengths against them that when he rematches you, like you saw, mm-hmm. he rematched Daniel Cormier, head kicked and finished him, rematch Alexander Gustin, finished him with a TKO. He is always a different fighter the second time around. And it's horrifying to watch him just buzzsaw through his opponents. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to believe and, and weird to say that someone's calm in there. But John Jones is calm in the octagon. He knows what he's capable of doing. He's never overwhelmed. He doesn't make a, a mistake that you see a lot of fighters, even top end ones, do. That could cost them the match. So John Jones back. A lot of big things coming up in 2019. Before we switch topics, Jose, I'm, I'm looking at some of these fights that we know of and fights that we think might happen. 
some cool things starting in January with uh, starting in a couple weeks rather. I'm really getting geared up for the Cejudo Dillashaw fight. I really think that that could be a, a very technical showcase. We know what Dillashaw's done as an accomplished champion. Cejudo, a champion, has won an Olympic gold medalist. There's a lot going on, a lot riding for uh, for the flyweight division in this one. Yeah, it's this could very well be the last fight ever in in the UFC division, which is a shame. Or the UFC flyweight division, which is a shame because Demetrius Johnson is one of the five greatest fighters of all time, too, and the most dominant champion in UFC history. And it's a bummer he didn't get the rematch or the rubber match even because he did beat Cejudo the first time. But this is a legitimate super fight, champ versus champ. I think Dillashaw wins pretty convincingly. Cejudo is great. I think he's an incredibly technically sound boxer. Uh, obviously, one of the greatest wrestlers of in MMA history. I mean, Olympic gold medals are crying out loud. Like, just cements his legacy. But uh, Dillashaw should win. Uh, Cejudo... DJ was a phenomenal fight. I think a very underrated fight in the mind, in my mind. Uh, the second one, it was it wasn't a war, it wasn't bloody, but it was just like very, very high, high elite level martial arts, which was just a joy to watch. And there's a lot of people that think Demetrius Johnson won that fight. Uh, I would have loved to see it again, but I think personally, I think Dillashaw is one of the five most talented fighters on planet Earth. I think he's going to reign atop that bantamweight division for a long time. Uh, obviously, you got some killers coming up, and Marlon Moraes is always out there. Uh, and Dominic Cruz can always return, but uh, Cejudo Dillashaw, beautiful fight. I just think, I just think Dillashaw is on another level. I'm also excited to see Ben Askren make his debut in the UFC. Very excited to see that. Oh uh, yeah, and and my boy, and definitely yours, Kane's coming back. Yeah, that's actually going to be in Phoenix. So I'm really excited oh, wow. to uh, he gets a he gets a hometown fight. Uh, against Francis Ngannou, uh, he's he headlined the first Fox card against JDS, and now he's headlining the first official ESPN card because the uh, Suhudo Dillashaw is on ESPN Plus, uh, which is the streaming service, and then the first big like big network ESPN card is going to be Kane Francis. Uh, the winner could very well get a title shot, especially well maybe not Kane if 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 DC is indeed the champion. Still, he's obviously not going to fight his teammate. Uh, and then DC is always has promised Stipe the rematch if Brock isn't ready to go. But Kane, hometown fight, in my opinion, the greatest heavyweight ever. It's him or Fedor. Just it's it's one or it's one A one B in my mind. And I am I'm just glad to see him back. Like whether it's for a title or not, it's it's just good to see him finally back inside the octagon. Yeah, you mentioned Fedor. He's got a big one coming up too. Yeah, you're against another ASU. Against another ASU of alum, Ryan Bader. Yeah, there you go. The Bellator final should be exciting there. Um, and also, and and I just want to know what's going to happen with Cormier. Says he's got one fight left. We'll see. You're on record though. You, you think Jones Cormier three will not happen? I don't think it'll happen next. Um, so Daniel said he wants. So he's gonna. So you think Cormier will fight more than just once more? It's 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 difficult to say because Daniel Cormier has always been on record saying he wants to retire at forty, but he has an injured hand right now. So. He's not going to be ready to return until he's after 40 years, like past his 40th birthday. Uh, if Brock Lesnar doesn't want to wait, then he, like Daniel Cormier is on record. Like he's, he spoke to MMAfighting.com earlier this week that if Brock isn't ready to go, he is going, he wants to fight Stipe. Mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah. Stipe deserves it. I mean, Daniel Cormier is the first one. Like he holds all the heavyweight records. Uh, you saw Anderson Silva lose. You saw Ronda Rousey lose. You see all these people lose, and they get their immediate rematch. And Stipe 100% deserves it. I mean, 
I wanted Stipe versus Kane. I thought that would have been an excellent fight. But if 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 the title shot is a, a realistic pos- like a realistic possibility for Stipe to obtain the rematch, then I don't blame him for sitting out waiting for DC. But uh, either way, I'm good with either way. But Daniel, I think maybe one or two more times this year. I think he he either fights Stipe or, or Lesnar. And then I think he's going to go out with a final Jones fight, but not that won't be his next one. Well, I, I do agree. Stipe needs uh, needs to be fighting again soon and, and near the top of the pecking order. But a lot of big fights coming up. We're excited for what UFC and, and all mixed martial arts has in store in 2019. All right, Jose Young's Money Mitchell. <laughs> it's time. Wrestle Kingdom 13, the Tokyo Dome, January 4th. Really, I mean, it, it, you might as well. You're better off if you're in the states, especially on the West Coast, staying up a little longer on the, and uh, on the third, and getting in for that 11 to midnight start time, depending on if you want to watch the full undercard and, and the main card. But we're here, the 13th edition. And Jose, your initial reaction when we started, when we, we planned this chat, was that you think this is the best card you've ever seen. This is the best Wrestle Kingdom I have ever seen in my entire life. I mean, everything from the storylines to the talent just everything about this like i remember last year wrestle wrestle kingdom 12 you and i were talking and i was like so hyped for the naito versus okada and then like omega jericho like possibly overshadowing the main event and the emergence of jay white and i was just like so hyped and it seems like a little bit this year new japan kind of had a lull uh maybe it's because kenny didn't hasn't defended this title as much as okada which is fine especially also because Jericho, who's the Intercontinental Champion, has taken that Brock Lesnar approach where he, he shows up like once or twice a year and then doesn't really do anything. He just, he just kind of, he, it, which is smart. It's like that's his character. Uh, but it's, it felt like New Japan not lost its luster, but like peaked last year. And then like I remember looking at September, I was like looking how the card was shaping up, and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the greatest card of all time. And then it's... <laughs> That hasn't changed. This is the greatest Wrestle Kingdom card I've ever seen. So I I would agree as well, and and I do credit you for getting me more into following this as it's gone on. But it's developed, and, and you mentioned how long, just to refresh everybody out there listening, who may be a WWE fan or, or even a Ring of Honor fan, that these storylines are more drawn out. They're more methodical. There's that slow burn, as we like to oh. say. Oh, 100%. I mean, last year, remember, we were talking. You asked me for a prediction, and I thought Naito winning would be best for business last year over Okada yeah. because I don't think there's been a wrestler. in Like, he was red hot in terms of popularity. And I, I'm confident saying Tetsuya Naito was the most popular wrestler on planet Earth last, entering oh, Wrestle Kingdom last year, and he he lost. And I was like, how, how does that make any sense? Like, Give it to the guy that's red hot. Like Katsuji Okada holds all the records. He holds them all. He's the he's the face of the company. He's he what is why does he need the belt? And then like this year, you just see Naito just lose and lose and lose and just get beat down and and I'm, and then all of a sudden like fans want him to win again, like want him to win. And yeah, he's not red hot in popularity, but he's getting that sympathy card. I'm like, this is gonna set up one of those comeback stories. Like like he's going to end 2018, the worst year of his career, and then 2019 is going to be that build up. So now he's going to get the Intercontinental title, and then next Wrestle Kingdom he's going to go for the heavyweight title and finally win it. I'm like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> New Japan has like the next three years; they're three years ahead of the game, and I'm like, yeah, 
Knights <laughs> should have lost last year. It just blew my mind. I really, really hope that there's a WWE writer out there listening to this. Uh, oh, it's they, well. yeah, yeah. But I want to, I want to work backwards this year from the top of the card back down and just kind of just heat sure. on it that way. The title, the the singles match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Kenny Omega versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. Now, I wanna, I wanna ask you how we got here. In addition to what you just said, because a being Tanahashi was the guy you told me last year. He is Japan's John Cena. That was the quote. That's this is a yes, one hundred percent. This is an icon. This is somebody that is, and also at the time, maybe on his last legs. That was our discussion last year. He was further down the car, but still, he's a part of this paper, part of this pay per view, this big show. Kenny Omega, we talked about it in the G one. He got upset. It was this huge match. You were raving about it. It was a bloody, just, just. I forget who you said he lost to, but it was a huge, huge deal. And he was kind of shocked in defeat. He goes, he beats Okada, he wins the title, and now we're in the main event with a guy in Kenny Omega who's getting a lot of offers from some outside promotions that we hear facing the franchise guy. The biggest legend, maybe in Japanese wrestling history. How did we get to this card, and uh, what are you expecting from the actual performance? I'm so happy this is happening in the main event. I mean, Hiroshi Tanahashi has headlined more Wrestle Kingdoms than anyone else ever. Uh, for a long time, it was him uh, and Shinsuke Nakamura were like the mm-hmm. Randy Orton, John Cena, or like the Rock, Stone Cold. Like those were. It was like one A, one B. But like Stone Cold was always a little more popular than The Rock, and John Cena was always more popular than Randy Orton. Like, Tanahashi has never been a villain, ever. He's never been a heel, but he's not one of those heels that's, like, boring and stale. Like, he's so beloved in Japan because when he came up, New Japan was, like, on the verge of bankruptcy, and they were they, they were going to go under, and it was a failing business, and they were trying to do mixed martial arts and this and that, and Hiroshi, Hiroshi Tanahashi single-handedly pulled them out of the drums and put them on his back for like the next 10 years and established himself as not just the best wrestler of the last 20 years, the most charismatic, the best on the mic, the company man, like when all of these other companies like Noah and all Japan and WWE and TNA and ring of honor were knocking on his door. He's like, Nope, I'm going to stay with new Japan and I'm going to make this legit. And he brought it to where, to what you see now would not have been possible without Hiroshi Tanahashi He's the greatest wrestler, in my opinion, in New Japan history. He's a legend. He like he's like if 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 WWE and New Japan ever did like a cross promotion thing, and people are like, oh, who do you think should headline? And people are like Kenny Omega versus AJ Styles or Seth Rollins versus Cody Bushi. Like the only answer is John Cena versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. They're the two fate that they're the biggest names in both of their promotions. But Tanahashi represents the quote unquote old guard of the Japanese like non-western style of wrestling and kenny omega represents this new era that wants to bring new japan to the west to america to canada to england and he wants to he wants to take he wants to prove that he is the future and it's a classic future versus the past face and hiroshi tanahashi is the most respected person on the roster but kenny wants to not prove he's better but prove that he is like he's just the next evolution and hiroshi tanahashi basically wants to prove that's not his that he's not done yet so this has been like a three-year build i believe they've only wrestled once and it was 
it was a phenomenal car, a phenomenal. It was like three years ago too, so it's fre- It's not like fresh in the mind. Tanahashi never, like I remember last year when we were talking at his blown out bicep, and he still wrestled. So like that's how much he, that's how devoted he is, and this could be the best car- match of the entire event. And I, my body is just so ready for this. It's exciting, and just to reiterate what you said, I went and looked. He main evented every Wrestle Kingdom except for numbers one and four, I think, in the, yeah. in, the in the first. And time, it's so. crazy because, like, <laughs> when we were talking, one. like when we were talking last year, uh, they it was Nakamura and uh, Tanahashi. This I believe is like Wrestle Kingdom like nine or eight or something like that. They headlined for the Intercontinental Title, and Naito Okada for the Heavyweight Championship was the co-main. Because the fans voted that Tanahashi should headline, like that's how much that he's like above the title. He does not need to be in the title picture, but him being there makes it that much more special. And to beat Tanahashi in the main, it's like beating Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania, like Mister WrestleMania. Like you get him, you're gonna get a good match, and if you beat him, you are an established player in in the annals of wrestling so uh i was not like if you would ask me a year ago this is not what i would have predicted but i am so happy it's happening you know mego kata two years ago maybe the best match we've seen this century it's definitely in the discussion so i I can't wait to see this one should be very exciting the intercontinental title championship the iwgp intercontinental title chris jericho the champion facing naito the guy that he beat for the belt you mentioned 2018 being the worst career professionally in the storyline of Naito's life. Jericho, I was we 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 can reassess this a little bit, but I was always a Jericho fan growing up. We had high hopes for his match against Omega. The storyline was good. It wasn't quite what we expected, and a lot maybe because of Jericho's age and just the chemistry of those two. But Jose, the match against Naito, I thought was great. I thought it was a lot of vintage Jericho, and it seems like to me they just blend their styles and it, and it fits so i'm actually really happy to see a rematch not a wrestle kingdom rematch but a rematch for the title return match in this one yeah i'm really happy i mean naito was like when he came back from his excursion in mexico he was a heel he was booed he was that like he was like stone cold at first kind of like just an anti-hero but at this point because of the year he's had like i said like he's kind of got that that sympathy role like fans want him to succeed and they want him to to build himself back up and Jericho has done a phenomenal job of making himself maybe the biggest heel in the entire company. Like he has the belt that Nakamura established that last year Tanahashi held going into wrestle kingdom. Like it's like the intercontinental title is a big deal in new Japan and Jericho has won it and defended it once. So every time he returns, it's just hatred from the fans because he's going to bring the, he, he refuses to wrestle in Japan. He's going to bring the Western world like he, he's above the promotion and he's if he doesn't want to wrestle he's not going to wrestle so uh this is one of those it's it's weird to say but like in 2018 usually the baby faces get booed and the heels get cheered uh especially in wwe but this is that rare occasion where the baby face is very popular and the heel is absolutely hated so in terms of storytelling i love it uh i think naito's obviously my favorite wrestler in the world jericho i think he's it's weird to call him underrated because I think right around now he's considered one of the greatest ever, but he was always like the third or fourth most popular mm-hmm. wrestler in WWE. But, uh, yeah, this is an awesome match, and I'm really glad uh, Jericho stuck around another year instead of just do that one-off with Kenny. Yeah, it's exciting there for sure as we still chat Wrestle Kingdom with Jose Young's on the Money Mitch Effect. A lot of talent on this card you mentioned, but 
it's going to be really hard to find a match that's going to outshine Okada and Jay White. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh, it's hard to put into words how. This is just, your. I can tell this is the match you want to watch the most. I think. Yeah, because like so, Bullet obviously Bullet Club is the, was is like the most well known uh, stable in on planet Earth. Uh, but Kenny Omega and the Bucks and Marty Skrull, like all those guys, they're not in Bullet Club anymore. I mean, this past summer they had like the Civil War, so the Bullet Club was is basically like te- like the 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 Gorillas of War and uh, the Underboss and. Then Jay White flipped from Chaos to Bullet Club, so now Bullet Club is pretty much all like uh, Tongans and New Zealanders. Uh, it's it was like it was a very weird story, uh, but I'm really glad they pivoted away from the Kenny Omega versus Jay White story because Jay White joined Chaos the day after Wrestle Kingdom last year. Kenny Omega invited Jay White to the Bullet Club, and Jay White fake accepted, and then switched it on him and joined chaos and he joined chaos strictly and i remember the press conference because like in, in new japan they have press conferences like baseball players at press conferences or football players where they meet with the media to to declare which group he's joining and he joined chaos strictly to take out the bullet club because that was his goal and okada was the leader of chaos and then gato or gato however you pronounce however you want to pronounce his name was okada's paul Heyman. Like he was like the mouthpiece. He was the manager forever, for years. And Okada was the golden child. And on the side, Guido is also the is also the booker. So he's like the one that decides who's gonna win the the matches. Uh, so everyone, it was kind of like Guido and Okada just reigned atop New Japan for for years, for years and years and years. And then out of nowhere, Guido turned on. Okada and aligns with Jay White and they both joined the Bullet Club. So like I don't care. Like this is one of those matches that doesn't need a title at all. Like Okada doesn't need to be in the title picture after so long. Jay White should win because if he wins, that'll elevate him to right now the big four are Okada, Omega, Naito, and Tanahashi. Mm-hmm. If Jay White beats Kazushika Okada, now then it's gonna be a big five. And they really need a fifth player, especially if Kenny leaves New Japan. So this could be the first Wrestle Kingdom Okada loses in a long time. So this is going to be a historic matchup for the for the uh, the in the history of New Japan uh, going forward. Rising star in the promotion for sure, facing the next. I know I, I called Tanahashi the franchise. Okada's been the franchise the last couple. Yeah, of years, oh one hundred percent. And Jay White is Jay White's. I, I know I said Jericho is hated. Jay White is the most hated wrestler in New Japan. I mean, they boo him relentlessly, and he's such a good heel. I don't know if you saw, but like over the summer, he did this spot where he speared someone like into the guardrail, and he bumped the announce I did table. See that. And and Jr. was doing play by play, like literally got hurt. Like he got like stitches and everything. It was an accident, obviously. But like Jay White had like the forward, like he he knew what he did by accident. But instead of like breaking character, he like mocked Jr. for like on the ground and like just turns the entire building against him. So he is such a good. He knows how to be a villain, and they hate him for it. And so I think this is like yeah, the top few fights are great, but I think this is going to be a really important match for New Japan going forward. I completely agree, Jose, and and I think you could say that the rest of the card, while maybe not having the prestige of some of the other matches, there's talent, as you said, throughout this throughout this card. The Cody Juice Robinson match, Cody is having a great year. We, we kind of joke that he, he isn't one of my personal favorites, but the run he's on 
spearheading all in as well was just phenomenal. It, it's as good of a tag match as you're going to find with the Young Bucks in that triple threat match. Um, but the girl, by the way, the girls of Destiny, I had no idea. This is something else I learned. I had no idea Ming had kids and that were wrestling oh, yeah. now. That, that, yeah, talk, yeah. About, talk about maybe one of the toughest of all time, that guy. Not, not one of the toughest wrestler in the in wrestling yeah. history. And Stay their sons are no guy. joke either. Their sons are no joke either. Um, but And then the other one that I wanted to get your thoughts on specifically was that the second match on the card, Ibushi taking on Osprey. Because oh, I'm so happy you asked me about that. That's the second match on the card. It's an open weight championship. Ibushi is a major player. I mean, we know him and Omega, the Golden Lovers, before it, it turned into a bigger stable. But that, that's another one. I can't, you know, you look at this card from my perspective, and I'm like, wow, this is the second match. Shows you how much talent's on there. I also think it's smart booking because I think Ibushi's going to be involved. I mean, because Osprey is in chaos and Ibushi is in the elite. I think there's going to be some involvement with those two later on in the card, especially especially with Ibushi. Like whether it's a run in, like uh, like if Tanahashi might get or someone might attack from the from the crowd, like a fellow wrestler and. Ibushi would run out to help him. They would want him to wrestle earlier on in the in the cards. So he, if he does get hurt, he can kind of power through it later on, like and kind of freshen him up and have fans not kind of put that put him in the back of their mind. But if you're asking me what's going to be the best match of the of the night, like I think Tanahashi and Kenny, obviously, like Kenny's the best bout machine, and Tanahashi's the best wrestler of the last few years. I think Jay White and Okada and Kenny versus, I mean, uh, and Knights versus Jericho is going to be really good uh, character work. Like, maybe not at like move wise or athleticism wise, but like in terms of like an old school, like wrestling emotional storyline. I think those two are going to be that, but the Osprey and Ibushi might kill themselves in this match. <laughs> I mean, they jump off of everything. They can do like 450 splashes standing. Uh, the, the loser might die in this match. And maybe that's why it's the opening one. So if something goes wrong, uh, they can have all this stuff happen after it. But I think I, it, I really want to say this is going to be the best, best match of the night. Cause I think Cody Bushi is the most naturally gifted wrestler I've ever seen. I mean, he can do like a back springboard, like Phoenix splash standing. I mean, who else does that? The only person, the only other person in the world that can do that is Will Ospreay. And they're wrestling each other, so this is going to be just madness. Yeah, you went to that uh, that show, the the show where oh my Gold god, tag with yeah. the Young Bucks, and it was just yeah. The, the videos were just insane. Let's put it that way, jumping off of everything. Well, anything else, Jose? We missed on the rest of this card. I know we. I uh, mean, we touched on the big fights, but yeah, you're going to want to watch every match. You're going to want to watch every match. I mean, the Junior Heavyweight Tag Championship, I think, has gotten some flack this year, especially because the Young Bucks went from Junior Heavyweight to Heavyweight. I feel really bad that it seems like they kind of got put on the back burner. Uh, Zack Sabre Jr. and Ishii are going to, I believe, are going to be wrestling for the Rev Pro British Championship, which it's not going to be a barn burner because they're very slow, methodical, like uh, they're submission grapplers, like they're submission specialists. And uh, it's weird to have it's weird to have a non New Japan championship at Wrestle Kingdom, so I think that's pretty fun. Uh, Zack Saber was is like the longest reigning Rev Pro champion ever, and I think he, I believe he's going after. Yeah, Ishii is the champion, so he's going back for his belt. 
It's always good to see the Young Bucks. It's always good to see Juice Robinson. Uh, I think the Junior Heavyweight Championship is going to be fun. Ishimura is the Bullet Club's newest, mm-hmm. one of their newest additions. He's been basically books like the Brock Lesnar of junior heavyweights. Like he, he never loses, and when he does lose, there's always like something afoot. Like it's never a clean finish. I think he's very underrated. He's like has like zero percent body. He's like a junior heavyweight Brock Lesnar, zero percent body fat and just massive. And then Kushida is the Tanahashi of the junior heavyweights. I mean, he's had like he holds all the records for like title defenses and longest reign. So I think that's flying under the radar. Radar is kind of a old guard versus new guard uh, match. But last year's junior heavyweight championship match was so good that this obviously isn't that. But I think I still think it's a fun matchup. But like I said, best card I've ever seen at Wrestle Kingdom, and don't miss it. Oh, we can't. I know you're going to be planning your entire day around it. I got so. the coffee ready. <laughs> just just napping earlier and just staying up uh, all night watching it where you are. I do want to say one last thing before we wrap this up. Another great another great chat on Wrestle Kingdom, but got to say RIP to Mean Gene Okerlund today. Oh, my God. Today. It, it, is... it hit me a little bit harder than, I mean, obviously deaths, and especially deaths in wrestling, it hurt. Uh, to hear, but that one hurt me a little more because that's an iconic figure. He's right up there, probably in the top ten of those iconic moments, wrestler or not. That guy mattered, and he told that story. He played it straight, which I think is a very underrated ability to do, especially when you have Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, Ric Flair going nuts. R.I.P. Mean Gene Oakland, one of the best, maybe the best ever to do it as an interviewer in wrestling. So, gotta say R.I.P. to him. He it's 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 been a bummer. I mean, him and Bobby Heenan were like the voices of my childhood and obviously Jr. and King. But I think Mean Gene's the greatest backstage interview. I think Bobby Heenan is the greatest commentator of all time and greatest manager of all time. And to have them both pass in the span of 12 months is just absolute just an absolute bummer. But R.I.P. Mean Gene. I couldn't have said it better myself, man. One of the best. We're going to miss him, but a lot of moments. And it's cool that those moments will live on on YouTube and on the WWE Network and all those places that you can find just him doing his job well. And I think part of it is just selling the fights, you know, selling it, making it seem like the biggest thing and, and interviewing the NWO when Hulk Hogan joined it and it formed. So the moments that I'll think of is just me and Gene being, you know, being the voice and the soundtrack of all of these iconic moments. Well, Jose Young's another blast talking UFC and New Japan Pro Wrestling with you. Rest up, because I, I think you're not going to be sleeping much tomorrow as we get you know really gearing up for this. So just get as much sleep as you can now if you can. Yeah, and let's do this again after the facts because my body's going to be so hyped, especially for the uh, the New Year's Eve. The New Year's Eve dash is like the Raw after WrestleMania. Like it's always the craziest like non pay per view of the year. So. It's going to be an insane week for New Japan Wrestling. And I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to, that might be a little bit of an undersell, but I think it's going to be really important for wrestling in general, especially with the elite making their own wrestling promotion. I think Wrestle Kingdom 13 is going to go down as one of those like seminal moments in wrestling. All right. There, there it is. Don't have to say much more than that. If you're not, <laughs> not going to watch, if you're listening this far, you got to watch it now. I mean, we were, we're 100%. talking it up. But Jose Young, sketch him at MMAfighting.com. Check all his stuff out there. Thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Anytime, boss. Huge thanks, as always, to Jose Youngs. Remember, you can catch all of his stuff at MMAfighting.com. And you can probably reach out to him on Twitter as well, because I don't think he's going to sleep until the start of Wrestle Kingdom. We, uh, we're, we're in the home stretch now. 
So we'll see what happens with that. But big pay-per-view there. A lot of UFC fights coming up. Make sure you follow Jose Youngs to get caught up on all things New Japan Wrestling and UFC. All right, now it's time to talk NFL with Chris Miller, former co-worker from the NFL Network. We've chatted a bunch on this show. We're going to break down all the coaching vacancies, eight in total, which jobs are the most enticing. Got to talk about the rest of the, the finishing, I should say, of the regular season, what stood out, where we were wrong from the start of the season, where we were dead on, and make our NFL wildcard picks, including a lot of road victories. Don't want to spoil anything, but we're, we're seeing some road wins. This is a very close round of playoff football games. It's Chris Miller now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, back again on the Money Mitch Effect. To recap the end of the NFL regular season, talk about some coaching changes, and get us ready for the wild card playoff round. It's Chris Miller. Hey, how's it going? Chris, what's up, man? It's uh, It's been a while. I know you're excited for the football playoffs, but unfortunately neither of our teams, Browns and Raiders, have anything to do with it. Yeah. Your your team, at least at least the Browns, somewhat had a chance. Two different trajectories, I think, towards the end yeah. of the season. I will I will admit that Browns have been fun to watch. Raiders not so much at the end, yeah. but we'll see what the uh, what the off season looks like for them. But yeah. it was it was an interesting regular season, and we're going to get into it with the playoffs. You know, towards the uh, the later portion of this segment, Chris. But sure, I, I think what we saw in the regular season, what we're kind of predicting to see in the playoffs, was not really any true runaway great teams. I mean, the Saints and Chiefs got the one seeds, but they have shown that they have flaws even in recent memory. Yeah. I think I think we've got a lot of openings and a lot of potential for anybody in the playoffs to make a deep run, one to six in each conference. Oh, definitely. I mean, just looking at these these first four games coming up this weekend, I would say maybe outside of maybe Chicago, Philadelphia, I think a lot of them are toss-ups. Yeah, definitely going to be a fun postseason. I always love the NFL postseason, whether the Raiders are in it or not. It's it's always a lot more exciting with that one and done as opposed to you know the, your best of sevens in baseball and in basketball. So yeah, it's it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, and just kind of looking at the division races where we were right and wrong and where a lot of people were. Sure. We expected the Patriots to do what they did. They got a bye, which is impressive given that they didn't look as great. But eleven and five. The rest of that division, yeah. the rest of that division, not really doing much. The Dolphins are kind of stuck in purgatory. The Bills took a step back, six and ten after making the playoffs a year ago. The AFC North, all props to the Ravens, four and five in their first nine games. They finished ten and six. Lamar, the Lamar Jackson era, we don't know what that shelf life is going to be. But yeah, I'm all about, and I have all the respect in the world for John Harbaugh, who did sign that extension. They got rid of yep. that rumor that he was going to go, but. They just double down on their strengths, and it's the type of offense that nobody plays. It's like, okay, you're, everybody else in the league is going to be a pass team. We're just going to double down on the run, and and you're not going to be prepared for it. Yeah, I mean, that defense, too, looks a lot more like a Ravens defense of old. I mean, it's not the uh, Ray Lewis, Siragusa-type defense, but they're strong, and when you've got a defense that plays that well, you you have the luxury of running the ball a lot more and just playing clock control and they're not flashy they are at times Jackson's certainly flashy at times he's been fun to watch but um, yeah they're good old fashioned you know smash mouth football and it's been working for them you don't get the number of possessions when you play them too I think that's what people forget their defense is great but 
when their offense yeah. is working. They're running the ball. Even with Collins out, who was supposed to be the guy early, he gets injured. No problem for them. Edwards is doing well. Allen, they like to run Jackson, as we said. I mean, they have a, a lot of weapons. And then they trade for uh, Ty Montgomery, who's something in the short pass game as well. God, I yeah. love the fact, Chris, that the Steelers started 7-2-1 and and missed the playoffs. It just warms my heart, you know. And, and, <laughs> and even better than that, I didn't think this week could get any better with them not making the playoffs. But now Antonio Brown's feuding with the team. So it's just the, it's the perfect start to a new year for me. Yeah, I, I feel like, though, like Antonio Brown having issues with the Steelers, it's nothing new. I don't think much is going to come of it. I mean, a lot of people are talking about the Steelers are going to move on from. They probably should, but he's got a pretty big contract to move. So I, I, I think they're stuck with him for the time being. Although they have Lev Bell's contract no longer on their books, so that does free up room for them to, to, to keep Antonio. I mean, they're going to pay him regardless, but... Yeah, I I think he's he's there with them, but yeah, I'm sure you you love the year in and year out drama that they've become. I, I do want to point this out unbiasedly here now for a second. Sure, no one's debating how good Antonio Brown is. That's hall that's a Hall of Fame talent at receiver. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And there's yeah. a, there's issues with all of this from all parties, including Coach Tomlin letting letting his organization, the one that he runs, get kind of out of control. Ben Roethlisberger. Yep. Doesn't seem like a great leader in how he's handled some things. But what's yeah. troubling to me, and we're not in the locker room, Chris. We don't know exactly what's being said. I have an issue with the fact that all these teammates, all these ex-teammates, all these players in the current locker room, no one's mm-hmm. really defending Antonio Brown. A lot of his teammates, and we heard Ryan Clark say that he's kind of a monster. A lot of yeah. guys in that locker room don't really like him, and that speaks the most volumes to me of anything. Is When your teammates kind of turn on you, that's never a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised that that Ben's kind of turned on him. That seems to be sort of his his mo with all of his teammates. I think Ben sort of looks out for Ben first. But listening to what Ryan Clark had to say, and I think his opinion carries a lot of weight. I mean, he was a pretty stand up player for the most part, and just the fact that yeah, just no one's willing to say no, no, he's actually not that big of a diva. He's not a prima donna. He's not. Uh, he's a great team player. Definitely speaks volumes, but I, I think that being said, I think he's their monster to deal with for the next, you know, what, three more years of his contract, given the, the reports on his character and the amount of money that a team would have to pay to, to take that contract on. I think he's he's stuck in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's going to be, I mean, fun for me, but it's going to be interesting <laughs> to see how this plays out. The rest of that division, Browns and Bengals, Browns 7-8-1, just as we said, a great great finish to the season. They get Baker in there. They get rid of Hugh Jackson. They, they get yeah. Freddie, Freddie Kitchens calling plays. We'll get to them and the Bengals, both teams looking for coaches in a second. But yeah, The Browns were a few field goals away from having, you know, a couple more wins with their belt, too. I mean, they could, have, they could have easily won the division this year without kicking issues. I mean, they, they could have won Week 17, you know, missed field goal. So, yeah. Uh, um, if the one flaw in your team that you have is a is a field goal kicker, if that's what the, that's keeping you from being a, a more wins, then that's that's a pretty good situation to be in for that team right now, for sure. I would say they have other flaws, but none as glaring yeah. as in the past. Yeah, kicking is an issue, but yeah, it was a, a great year. I think everybody was wrong, Chris, though, about the AFC South. It's a pretty deep division this year, and Jacksonville was the only team that was out of it for for pretty much the whole back half of the season at 5-11. and 11. Titans and Colts yeah. had that play-in game for a playoff spot. 
Mariota didn't play, so it was almost predetermined. We kind of expected that Gabbert sure. wouldn't get the job done. The Texans were 11-5. and five. Watson had a great year. And yep. how about Andrew Luck back healthy and leading the Colts to the playoffs? There is nothing more exciting for me than seeing a healthy Andrew Luck. He's always been one of my favorite quarterbacks from since his rookie year. I liked him at Stanford, being a Stanford fan myself. And... Yeah, I mean, as soon as he started sort of getting him back into that routine, you saw them. They went, they struggled a little bit early in the year while he was still kind of getting his sea legs back, but they took off. I, I figured Houston was going to be a contender. I was definitely surprised by Tennessee being as close as they were, um, and obviously we were all very surprised by just how poor Jacksonville looked this year. That defense was not the defense from last year. That Saxonville did not show up this season. <laughs> Right, Bortles' numbers were marginally worse, but you know, <laughs> but that's the thing. Like we, we both are. We're yeah. all everyone's in agreement now. He's not a franchise quarterback, but they're not yeah. five and eleven because Bortles. Like he was very similar to what he was last year. The defense really regressed, and and that was unfortunate. The last yeah. division in the AFC, though, Chris, the AFC West, with what the Chiefs did, Mahomes went for five thousand yards and fifty touchdowns. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they needed every win to hold off Chargers team, which yep. I still kind of like. And I still think, depending on what happens this week, the dice, the, the, the run could be in front of them. The Broncos yep. and Raiders bringing up the rear. Yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. good at all. Denver was a team. We, we've yep. kind of said what we were going to say about the Raiders, but Denver was a team I just wanted to touch on that. They should have been about a 500 football team. I mean, there was coaching. There was in a, there was bad plays down the stretch. I mean, yeah, I, I don't thought, know if I would have said that they should have been a 500 team. Well, but let's, I, let's just say number of games lost. Just say number of games that they lost close because of yeah. what I would call a combination of poor coaching and just making bad plays in the crunch yeah. time. Maybe not should have been a 500 football team, but easily could have been. I mean, we're talking. There was that Chiefs Monday Night Football game where Keenum had a guy wide open in the end zone and missed him. And then yeah. I'm thinking of the Texans game where uh, Vance Joseph just ran the ball for a minute and then they tried a 50-yard field goal that they missed. Point being, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a close game, but Chiefs and Chargers are mm-hmm. just two premier teams, and it was a fun battle to see those two teams both go 12-4. and four. Yeah, definitely. And if I had to pick between either of those two teams, I think the Chargers are the better team, mostly based on they just have the better defense. I mean, the Chiefs were what, 31st in defense, which is surprising given their record, but that just shows you how amazing their offense was. So if I had to pick head-to-head, again, I would go with the Chargers. I mean, they've already won head-to-head. So, but... Yeah, they split. I mean, they did split, and I I agree. I mean, the Chargers were a preseason pick for me to get to the Super Bowl, but... But the Chargers lost you got, early in the season when they were still kind of figuring a few things right. out. And, and, and Bosa. And, it was without Bosa, yeah. too. He's back, but the only thing I'm saying, Chris, is that we know playoffs are matchups. The Chiefs have one less game to get to the Super Bowl. They're going to oh, be yes. at home. Yep. You got, and and you that's got, a tough, and you, tough place to play. And you got Mahomes. You're always going to have a chance to just be in every single game. So. Oh, yeah. Well, and you also, I mean, you got Tyreek Hill, too. I mean, uh, it's a very exciting team offensively you know Travis Kelsey is always uh an extreme danger for for any defense to to deal with and yeah if they can if they can get that defense to show up just a little bit yeah they're definitely uh gonna have a a pretty easy path to the Super Bowl but 
it's a big butt with that defense. You don't know, you know, who's gonna who's gonna be there, and they've they've been so not what you would expect from a Chiefs defense. You know. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I think it's something that. Look, I mean, this could be the year, though, because every team has flaws this year. There is no dominant team. So maybe this Chiefs team is good enough to win this Super Bowl. I mean, we're going to find out. It's going to be fun. Yeah, uh, and they definitely – well, yeah, any of these teams, these 12 teams that have made it to the playoffs definitely have what it takes to win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, you know, look, what, they were, what, 13-3? and three? They they definitely deserve the one seed. They, they had a, a, a heck of a year. Uh, Mahomes was, I hate to say – fun to watch um but he was and and they they lit it up and the the amazing thing is they lost a huge talent in kareem hunt and it didn't slow them down at all you know and they still kept rolling so that just shows you how stacked that offense is how well they're playing and and just how good of an offensive minded coach andy Reid is he certainly is. Chris Miller here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, I do want to talk about the NFC because another division we were wrong on, at least, what, five games into the season? The NFC East got two playoff teams. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Hey. I, and, look, and, not, and not one of the – neither like, – I, I kind of thought Philadelphia maybe. But early. But early like, in the year, I was Washington was looking good, but nope. Philly, Dallas. Philly was dead and buried. <laughs> Three yeah. weeks ago, they had to go yeah. to the Rams on Sunday Night Football with their backup quarterback. Now a backup, that's a Super Bowl MVP, but a backup quarterback nonetheless. Yeah. They yeah. win that game. They keep it rolling. They're up against against Houston. They win that game. They get the help they need, and the defending yeah. champs are back in. Dallas, to me, was more of a straightforward thing. When they got your boy Amari Cooper and they got that deep threat, they also started to play some of those young defenders a little more, like Jalen Smith, like Van Der Esch. Yeah. It's a simple smash mouth football so a football game where you can rely on the run game and the defense and not ask your quarterback Dak Prescott to do things. So I guess yeah. looking at it, Washington at seven and nine, Giants at five and eleven, that was about what I expected from them, but surprised yeah. two NFC East teams actually got to the playoffs. Yeah, definitely a surprise. Um especially the way Philadelphia had looked the majority of the season. They definitely did not look like a Super Bowl winning team. To their credit, they uh, they pulled it out, and I mean, maybe Nick Foles was the answer that they needed it all along. Who knows? Uh, he certainly was the answer they needed last year uh, after Carson Wentz got hurt. So maybe he really is the secret sauce that puts them over the top. Who knows? Maybe but uh, Nick Foles' uh, secret sauce, I like it. That's a nice <laughs> ring to it. Uh, that's right. We'll that's your nickname. It, Nick, they trademarked that. Secret by sauce the way. Foles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I do want to I just want to move on to the North because the NFC North was the craziest division for me this year. Mm-hmm. Every one of these, maybe Detroit six and ten is about what we'd expect. I I don't even yeah. expect much from them. I thought seven or eight with with their roster and how they kind of can just be frustrating. They won six games, and who do they beat yeah. this year? They beat the Patriots and a couple other. I think they have at least one other big win on there that just doesn't make any sense. But um, you know that was. Six and ten, okay, but the Packs six nine and one. Yeah, the Vikings eight seven and one, blowing it at home, and then the Bears yeah. twelve and four. The Bears, who Trubisky is still developing, we think he can be the guy. Still yeah. isn't fully proven though, but an electric defense and a good running game and and a good young offensive minded coach in Matt Nagy, twelve yep. and four. It was uh, an improbable year for them. 
Yeah, no, they were great. I mean, it's just uh, further proof that uh, even though the NFL stacks the rules to to favor the offense, good defense will still show up and and make plays for you. And you know, that's a big reason I think why the Bears are where they are. Um, I think it's a lot easier for a young quarterback like Trubisky to be, you know, more himself, a little more calm on the offense when he knows that, hey, if he does make a mistake, that defense is more than likely going to bail him out on the other side of the ball if there's a turnover or if, you know, something just doesn't go the way they want it to. So I would say the two best things for a young quarterback, you know, a good defense and maybe a good, you know, tight end, but they they get at least half of that. So (laughs) I hate to see Cleo Mack playing so well, but I'm pretty sure he had more sacks this season by himself than the Raiders' entire defense. So hats off to him. He, uh, Proved he was worth every penny, and, uh, you know, they had a great year. Is it safe to expect more from a franchise quarterback with that kind of money than what Cousins is performing in Minnesota? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, that's... I Cousins, but I didn't think Cousins was worth that money. No, you know? he, he wasn't, and, and that's the thing. No. Like, the market wasn't the strongest. He took advantage of that. He's a solid quarterback, but he's way overpaid, and, and with... You know, oh, hands down. It's, it's a difference between what's the difference, Chris, between being underrated or overrated? Probably how much money you're making, you know, <laughs> probably. So, yeah, uh, that's where that is. The uh, the NFC South moving on with the Saints 13 and three great year as strong as we thought they'd be. Teams oh, yeah. Stuck in the middle. Atlanta and Carolina just couldn't find that next gear. Had disappointing endings to their season. Both teams. Atlanta well, went Carolina on that. They started out really strong, and I then mean, they had a seven-game yeah. losing streak. Yeah, Carolina finishes the year. They do get that win uh, in week 17, but they yeah. lost, I think, five straight, four or five straight from like seven and three to just completely nosedive. Atlanta had a uh, middle-of-the-year slump as well, but both these teams <laughs> just struggling. The Panthers were two and six on the road, not good. And then Tampa Bay, I just want to point out <laughs> that – Tampa Bay is going to bring Jameis back. So congrats yeah. to whatever coach takes that job. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. I mean, I guess Jameis Winston's still the best quarterback that they have on their roster, so why not bring him back? Turns the ball over at a rate that is borderline unprecedented. Would you so. say it's like Bortles-esque? Well, no, see, Bortles, <laughs> I, I was going to say, he's capable of better than Bortles. I think we're not breaking anything new in that. But sure. he, he turns the ball over as much as any quarterback that we've seen in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah. It's uh, way too reckless to be reliable, and I think that's why you see Tampa as this frisky team every week. Like, oh, they're in these games, it's close, and then they just nosedive. Yeah, I I know, like, hey, as far as, like, my fantasy team do, went, like, I had Deshaun Jackson in my lineup, at least for the beginning of the year, and then I was like, yep, no, <laughs> just going to take him up. Yeah. He didn't need to show up. I mean, part of that was just Jameis Winston. Part of that was just, just you know Deshaun Jackson being kind of a a one a, sort of a one route threat. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, good luck to whoever gets that job. They're they're in for a lot of work. That's a, a tough division. You know, the Panthers are going to be, I think, a better team next year. The Saints are obviously very good. So, yeah, the Fal- and the Falcons will be, I think, a better team next year too. They should, they should be. Uh, they definitely should be, but props to the Saints for, for continuing on. And then the NFC West, the last division. Rams 13-3. and three. Everyone's picked to win the division wins and has a great year. 
Yep. I was wrong about Seattle, man. I'd like to apologize because I think we both were wrong on Seattle. Thought they'd be bad. Had a great year. Russell Wilson. He should have been a Pro Bowler. He should be on the outskirts of this MVP discussion. He's probably yeah. my third MVP right now if I had to pick after the two that we think are going to be at the top in yeah. Breeze and Mahomes. But great year mm -hmm. for him. Cardinals were terrible. They'll be picking first in the draft, three and thirteen, and the Niners four and twelve. But Garoppolo went down, and that pretty much signaled the end of their season. So this was a division that was yeah. Seahawks surprise notwithstanding, pretty straightforward. You had one good, great team, one good team, and two bad teams. Yeah, I mean, Seattle, I think, definitely was a surprise. And I think a lot of that goes to Russell Wilson just doing what Russell Wilson does, which is win games. And hats off to Pete Carroll, too, you know, from the coaching standpoint. But, yeah, definitely no surprise for the Cardinals. There's not a lot really to be excited about when it comes with that team. The Niners definitely expected them to have a bit of a better year. But even with Garoppolo, like, I, I didn't think that this was going to be a playoff team. I, I definitely didn't think they were going to be a division-winning team. They were probably, I still would have said, probably 7-9 at best. Yeah, we'll see. It, it, this is uh, another NFL season where it goes to show you, you never know what's going to happen. You never yeah. know. So, Chris Miller, Money Mitch Effect. Before we talk about these upcoming playoff games, we do have to mention coaching carousel season. Eight coaches eight coaches yeah unprecedented not in fact now <laughs> not all are official firing some happened in the middle of the year we had two in the browns and packers that were not before the end of the year but eight coaches chris and last year eight coaches in two years half yeah. the league is looking for a new coach yeah it's incredible yeah. it's incredible it's it shows you why first of all why would you ever leave college to go to the nfl <laughs> knowing that yeah you know especially when you have a lot more control over your players in college too. I don't know. I mean, was that, are you, are you speculating on whether or not you, th you think Harbaugh's coming and whether or not he should stay at Michigan? No, I, not necessarily that, although it may eventually happen, not anytime soon. I yeah. just think that whenever you're deciding between the two, hypothetically, unless it's a no brainer NFL job. Yeah. Look at three years ago, three years ago, um, they hired, Six new coaches. It's Doug Peterson, yeah. Super Bowl champ, and all the others are fired. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just, I, it's a tough business. It really is. But, Chris, did any of yeah. these firings or, or coaching changes, did any of them surprise you? I mean, yeah, we all saw Hugh Jackson going. And, and, I would, and I would throw Vance Joseph in there, too, because he almost got fired last year. Those two, I think, were no-brainers. Any of the other ones surprise you? As weird as it sounds, Marvin Lewis, because you figure that, that he just always seemed like the coach that would just never get fired, no matter. Was a job for life. Yeah, I mean, it just the, it seemed like the Bengals were sort of happy with mediocrity and not winning playoff games. So maybe they've decided that that's not where they want to be anymore. I was slightly surprised with Adam Gase. I figured he would have stuck around at least for another year, but who knows? I mean, it's hard to say if it was you can put the blame on him from starting out the season really well and then finishing the way they did. Uh, they started out 3-0, and and they looked they looked like the team to beat in the NFC East, and they ended up 7-9. and But they had injuries and stuff. I was, I was slightly surprised at Gase. Maybe to some extent Wilkes in Arizona, just because, you know, after, when you fire someone after one year, that's always a little bit of a surprise. Yeah. and, and But, I mean, the, the, the team was terrible. I get right. that. It takes more than a year to, to really get a program going the way you want it to. So that was that was a little bit of a surprise. I, I, I mean, I get it. 
But I would say the only real, like, hmm, I, I, I would have given another chance was Adam Gates probably. And I think Adam Gates will get another chance to coach somewhere. Right. Bowles, we saw the writing on the wall. He was going to get fired. Yeah. Same with Dirk Cutter. That that yeah. applies to anyone. And I would add McCarthy maybe being more on the surprising-ish scale that it was midseason especially. Yeah. That stale we saw in Green Bay. But yeah. I would say McCarthy and Gase are the two that are going to yeah. be head coaches again. I really believe that. It could oh, be this Mike, year. will most definitely be a head coach again. He's He's got a better win-loss record than some of the great coaches like Bill Parcells. He's got... You know, he's got a Super Bowl victory under his belt. He's a really good coach. He definitely deserves uh, another coaching job somewhere else. It's just the relationship between him and Aaron Rodgers just sort of petered out and, and Rodgers got and, rid of him. <laughs> and I get it when, when it gets stale and, you know, it's time for a change. It could be good for everyone involved. Everyone brings up Belichick learning on the job for his second gig. That's a That's a, you know the goat of NFL coaching, but look yeah. at look at Andy Reid, look at mm-hmm. even Pete Carroll when he's, you know, a second go round in the NFL. So yeah. I think that could definitely happen. Gase is connected. He's a young offensive line. He'll have interest too. It might not be right away, but I believe that. So Chris, what job do you think would be the most enticing? If you were a guy in high demand that could take your pick of the litter, oh, which one? God. Um, and you better say the right answer now. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously it's the Cleveland Browns. Actually, you know what? It's up there. I I, I would. Okay. Cleveland Browns. I hate to say it, yeah. are actually up there. They've got a good young quarterback who I'd like to apologize to. I clearly didn't give him a lot of credit going into the season. I didn't think he was going to be as good as he is. They've got a defense that needs some work, but has uh, pieces to it, um, and. You know they were they were in a lot of games. Like I said, a few field goals made, and this is a playoff team. So yeah, I would definitely say the Browns, surprisingly enough, are are one of the top choices. Maybe I would say maybe Green Bay after that, just because Aaron Rodgers. But that team needs a lot of work. Um, Oi, um, Dolphins definitely have some some interesting pieces. Uh, the Broncos, if they can somehow find the the magic that the defense used to have, but yeah, I mean, if I if I was a coach right now and I'm looking at this list, yeah, I would actually probably say the Browns would be one of my top choices. Here's how I would answer that question. Sure. How good is the quarterback situation you're going into? Because that's I think what it says a lot about. Yeah, um, not a lot so, of good. So, um, <laughs> Browns or Packers would be my top two. Green yeah. Bay has Aaron Rodgers. They need some work, but. If you can find a new offensive that's going to you know, keep him fresh and be creative there, I mean, it's one of the best ever. Yeah. Baker and Cleveland, obviously a lot to like. They are a young team. They have to shore some things up, but that's a good one. I think with Arizona, and it's not the best, but it's not the worst on my list. Same with the Jets. They're kind of in that middle ground because you have, or maybe if you believe in these quarterbacks you have, the next piece is there as well, and Darnold and Rosen. So I think New York yeah. and Arizona could be promising jobs. Denver need a quarterback. Tampa mm-hmm. Bay do not trust their quarterback situation. Nope. Same with Cincinnati. I mean, what are we doing there with Andy Dalton? And Miami is yeah. going to move on from Ryan Tannehill. So you look at yeah. all of these quarterback yeah. positions, and I think it says a lot about how enticing these jobs are. Um, I think the New York position, sure, but here's the thing: like New York is a tough, tough town to be a, a player or a coach in. So if you're going to bring someone in, it's got to be a tough coach, and it's got to be someone who can who can deal with 
with the stress of being in New York. Um, so bringing in someone who hasn't been a head coach yet, I don't think is quite the right call here. I think you need to go someone with, with more experience. Maybe someone like Mike McCarthy uh, might be able to go into a situ- situation like New York and work with a young quarterback and Sam Darnold and maybe turn that program around. But yeah, I, like I said, if, if, if I'm choosing between these ones, uh, Packers, Packers, Browns, yeah, maybe Jets. I, I don't know. I, I the, the Cardinals kind of scare me though, as yeah. far as what they have. It's fair, but they're going to get that first overall pick, probably one of these edge rushers. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I just want to point out before we pick the playoff games, my hypothetical, what I my dream scenario, although it is kind of a pipe dream. For the Browns, I'd want Bruce Arians to coach. Hey, that he would listen. And who is his positional coach? Freddie Kitchens. Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> He'll stay on his OC. Yeah. And there'll be a trans. There can you can pass the torch if because Arians is in his sixties. He's had the health issues. Yeah. I want to keep Kitchens. His play calling is amazing. What better way than keep him work under, as an OC under Bruce Arians until you're ready to be a head coach, hopefully in Cleveland. I think it's a well, good plan. And- it says that he's definitely interested in the Browns' vacancy. So I just don't think he's ready right now. I he had a great half, a little more than half a season as a play caller. It's still a little early, you know. I like to get get more get some more reps in. Yeah, I mean Bruce Arians in in, in Cleveland. That's that's pretty good pick. You don't think Greg Williams will uh, no. retain the position? No, I, I want I want an offensive coach. I don't think he's on high on the radar. It's going to be John Dorsey's decision. So uh, he's done a great job, but that was, I think, pretty clearly stated an interim role. So, so what do you think? Does he go back to being the the DC, or is he out altogether? You think it's going to be tough because they usually don't keep both. And and push be told, I'd rather have Kitchens, but yeah, but I mean. Considering what he did with that no, team and where they were when he became the interim coach, I think he's at least earned something. Right, but he's uh, on that. But it's on the next head coach's. You know, it's his call. So yeah, it's that's hard true. to say um, what would happen. Um, but we'll see. Chris Miller, Money Mitch effect. Let's talk about these playoff games. Some good ones. All three games with the all games except for Eagles Bears is about a two two and a half point spread. Kind of like wow. what we were saying. <laughs> They're all expected to be close regardless of seeding. I would say my pick for a lower seed is that first game. I like the Colts in that one over the Texans. I like the Colts over the Texans too. And look, they're only a game apart in the standings. I know it's a three six matchup. They played twice this year. Yep. I think you gotta you gotta throw away throw out some of those early games. The Colts started what one and four, one and five, made the playoffs, went on a tear at the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah, they can go the into Houston. Andrew Luck became electric. Go into Houston, late in the season, win this, wait into the playoffs. I think they can win this game. I think the Texans have Deshaun Watson, who I'm a big fan of. I saw a stat hasn't he said he hasn't lost a game by more than a score since his sophomore year of high school, which wow. is crazy. But I just think they have enough offense to score with Houston, and I think they go in on the shoulders of Andrew Luck and a revamped defense. Yeah, with. Maybe Leonard, who's maybe the defensive rookie of the year, and I think they win this game. Yeah, I mean, if they can if they can find a way to shut down Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, then uh, uh, definitely. Uh, I, I like Indianapolis, though. I think Andrew Luck is playing the way you would expect Andrew Luck to play, and I think he ended the season what thirty nine touchdowns, second in the NFL to. Mahomes, who had a, a phenomenal year, he's been playing his best football, and 
you know, like to say, it's all about the team that gets hot at the right time. And I think that team, at least in this matchup, is Indianapolis. And I think that they're they're going to go into Houston. I think it'll be a, a good game. I think it'll be a close game, but I, I like Indianapolis with, with luck and uh, that revamp defense for sure. I think it'll be an exciting game. I think this is going to be fun. We've actually, got, we've actually got a good Saturday afternoon playoff game. It feels like forever. I know last year Chiefs-Titans became exciting because the Chiefs blew it, but this I is definitely actually... watch that game. I might have to DVR it, unfortunately. Yeah. But I'm planning on watching it in some capacity. Hey, Sunday, it's Saturday night, the night game. I'm expecting a slugfest. It's what? It's Seahawks and Cowboys in Dallas. Yeah. I'm expecting this to be defense-heavy. I think mm-hmm. I think it's going to be one in the trenches. I think it's going to be tough sledding for both offenses. Yeah. I think I'm picking the Seahawks. Actually, I'm going road double on Sun on Saturday. You I know what? Go into Dallas and win. And I'll be completely honest with you. As much as I like Dallas's interior size, Zeke Elliott running the ball. Yeah. I gotta take Russell Wilson over Dak Prescott when the chips are down, right? Well, I mean, they always say when it comes to the playoffs, right, what does it come down to? It comes down to the, the coaching and quarterbacks, right? And, well, if that's what it comes down to, that's the easiest – that's an easy call for me then. <laughs> right. Cleveland. No, uh, yeah, no, I know. But, like, but Seattle it, versus Dallas. I, I would I like, would, yeah. I would, take the, the Pete Carroll-Russell Wilson tandem over Garrett and Prescott for sure. But, yeah, I definitely think this is one of those games that's – yeah. Like you said, it's going to be definitely one of the trenches. And again, I think Seattle has got sort of the same sort of momentum rolling like Indianapolis did. And I think they keep it rolling at least through one more week. Here's the thing about Seattle, though. Their defense is good. Mm -hmm. It's not the Legion of Boom anymore. They're actually more heavy inside. They can be thrown on. Dak's going to have to make some big throws. Cooper can have a great game if Dak can get him the ball. Gallup has been playing well as too. Cole Beasley. Yep. That that's going to be there for the taking. They're not going to be able to run Zeke thirty times and win this game. They're going to need to open it up. Can he do it? I'm just not sure. I, Garrett in a big time playoff game. Still not sure. It, the fact that it's at home means very little to me because they blown playoff games at home before. I'm going to yeah. pick Seattle to win this one outright. Yeah, same. I, I totally agree. I think uh, Seattle's going to stack the box and force that Prescott to beat them. And um, if the, and I think it, you're going to see a lot of the same similar situations uh, with uh, the Cowboys on defense. I think they're going to try to shut down Carson. And, and the thing is, if you're going to force Russell Wilson to beat you, that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to beat you. Yeah. But Dallas does have a really good pass rush, so who knows, you know? And and Seattle's offensive line is good, not great. So I mean, there's so many factors that go into this. I I still I, I'm going Seahawks on this one. I think they just they've got too much momentum and uh, the better quarterback and the better head coach. Okay. Well, Ravens, Chargers. Oh boy. Early, <laughs> early start time, early 10 a.m. start time. Not exactly great for the Chargers, but. This is a huge game for me for a lot of reasons because I think both these teams can go on a deep run. Yeah. And, and this might be the toughest matchup they face early on. Both styles suck to play against. We saw that with the Chargers' loss in the, in, yeah. in L.A. That it's tough to play against that Ravens team. Yeah. 
And I also think that this game has huge playoff implications uh, as well because, you know, whoever plays, if, if the Colts win, the winner of this game is going to Foxborough. I think yeah. the Patriots are all about the Texans winning on uh, Saturday. Uh, I think yeah. if the Texans win, that's a team they've beaten a lot recently, that they're big into that one. But as far as this game goes, Chris, I'm taking the Chargers in a bounce back. Another road game, I think that makes three for me. Wow. I, I think the Chargers are going to go into Baltimore, win, keep their season going. I think a road game means very little to them because they don't have many fans to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. think they can learn from what happened. It's one thing. It's like facing a new pitcher in baseball. It sucks at first. This Ravens style, it's like, whoa, we didn't we didn't see this guy. He was in the other league. He, what's his curveball yeah. doing? That was recently. They've got the film. I trust Phil Rivers to make those adjustments. Yeah. And I think that they can. I think the Ravens I think they're they're a good team. They have a they have a unique style that works, but I think eventually they'll meet their match. I'm banking on it this week, Chargers to win. Again, I'm going back to the, you know, who do you take the you know, the coach and the quarterback, right? Well in this it's sort of a toss up. Quarterback yeah. obviously goes to, to the Chargers. Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Famer, he's phenomenal, he's had a great year. Coaching wise, I would definitely go more with Harbaugh. So, in that sense, it's a 50-50. Baltimore's at home. It's going to be cold. You know, the Chargers are going to have to come out of that warm weather and play in a pretty frigid Baltimore. That definitely, I think, favors the Ravens in their style of football. The Chargers' game is more predicated, I think, on speed on the offense, uh, especially with, you know, your receivers like Keenan Allen. It's a toss-up, I, 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 but in this one, I'm going Baltimore. Okay. So Baltimore. All right, I'm glad we disagree on one here. Baltimore I think it's going to be very similar to Dallas-Seattle. I think it's going to be a hard-hitting game. It's going to be a lot of good defense. But when it comes to time, you know, second-half adjustments, I trust Baltimore more on that one. All right, last one. Bears-Eagles. It's the only spread that's not really close. It's six points for the Bears Wow. at home. Here's what I think about the gambling advice for this one. If you think that I think this isn't going to be a marginally close Bears win, I think if you think the Eagles are are going to cover six points, I'd bet on them in the money line because uh-huh. I think that I think the Bears are going to either win. I think the Bears win by about ten to seventeen with a dominant defensive performance, or I think Foles plays lights out and they actually win this game. <laughs> by the way, if that happens, is it time to is it time for Carson Wentz to put his property on the market, real estate wise? <laughs> Because um, at that point, I mean, wait, what what else do you want a quarterback to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if Nick Foles somehow magically leads this team back to the Super Bowl, he's definitely – If I wouldn't say that means Carson Wentz is gone, but it definitely means Carson Wentz is going to be wearing a, a headset next year. He's the – I mean, he is a draft pick worth a lot, and I do think a good quarterback. Obviously, if he – you know, he has to bounce back from his, from his injury from a year ago fully. Yeah. But well, Foles is up after this year. Foles is not going to come back to Philly to be a backup quarterback. Somebody will offer him probably a few teams tons of money. Yeah, so. I mean, and we saw this already, though. I mean, Foles played well in Philadelphia, then got offered a ton of money, didn't do anything, came back to Philadelphia to be a backup, played well again. Yeah, but so. when he left Philly the first time, it, he hadn't really accomplished a whole lot. He had the one good year, second year didn't go well. I, I'm just uh, – this this is different, man. He's a Super Bowl MVP, and he's come back, and he is the reason they're in the playoffs. 
he, he is. Well, oh, definitely. And as far as this game goes, I mean, I, I got to give it to the Bears. Uh, again, it's going to be really cold. And when you have, like, the kind of situations you have in Chicago in January, that favors defense. But we'll see. I mean, I don't think either team's going to pass the ball very well. So then you got to go who's yeah. got a running game, and you got to go with uh, Chicago on that one. Yeah, I'm taking the Bears to win. Defense, yeah, I think it's going to be close to think. But... Uh, yeah, I, I'm seeing a sizable Bears win. I think you're right. I, I just don't think Philly can run the ball that well on Chicago. They're yeah. getting a lot of third longs, and they're playing it in the Bears' hand at that point. I think to beat Chicago, you really have to get the run game going, something the Rams didn't do in their regular season game. Yeah. And I think Philly's defense, this is when we're going to kind of see it. The Bears' offense has a good run game. They do some creative things offensively. Yeah. He's trying to limit mistakes. He's gotten a lot better at it as the season's gone on. And yeah. look, I think we see a lot of Eagles players that won the Super Bowl. They were on short-term deals, and they got paid elsewhere. Yeah, and They're going to miss them in this game. They really are. They're going to be but, a little more vulnerable, I think, and I, uh, and I am picking the Bears to win. But, I mean, let's just take it back a year. I mean, would you have picked Philadelphia to beat Atlanta like they did last year, and yet – they did so. Home field, yeah, home field, but this is home okay. Does, does stylistically, make stylistically, they're two different teams. The, the Falcons had that high power offense, and yeah, you know, coming into a cold weather stadium outdoors. But we're talking. True. You got to go to Midway and play this defense. Yeah, play that guy, I, you know, Khalil Mack, and see yeah, how you're going to block. I hear him, it's so. pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I hear. I wonder if uh, I wonder if we can you can trade for him maybe one day. We'll <laughs> Someone should. Yeah, I definitely still think it's the Bears, but I mean, look, if Philly won this one, would I be surprised? A bit, but not not a ton. I mean, it is Nick Foles after all. But I think this is the Bears to win. I'm 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 picking both home teams on Sunday, but I'm going road on Saturday. Okay. Yeah, that's that's. I I just think you have two cities where the weather is too much of a factor, whereas on Saturday you have two dome teams. Well, I guess Dallas is. Quasi dome, but the weather's not going to be mm-hmm. terrible. So, when you get that sort of Baltimore weather, that Chicago weather, that definitely really hurts road teams, especially a team like you know the the Chargers coming from the West Coast. So, I'm looking for the home teams to win both on Sunday. All right. Well, that would mean that if our hypothetical picks go through, we both uh-huh. have, we both have Colts Chiefs in Arrowhead, which would be amazing to watch. That would be fantastic. You have Pat's Ravens. I have Pat's Chargers. Either way, some drama, some familiar faces in Foxborough. Yep. Bears-Rams rematch in L.A. this this time, which would be I think fun. the Rams win this time. And then Saints taking on the Seahawks. Ooh, that would be a fun one. In the dome, Saints. Yeah, yeah Saints. it should be fun. But all right, Chris Miller, blast. Always appreciate you coming on. Yeah, always fun, man. We'll see how these predictions go. And thanks for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Yeah, always, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Huge thanks to both guests, Jose Youngs and Chris Miller, for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can find every episode of this show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. You can subscribe, leave a review, a rating. Make sure we are in your life at all times. Also check out our other podcast, my other podcast, Running With The Money, Kent Brown and Matt Gothard. 
We got one show coming. We're going to probably drop that on Monday for the title game. It's Bama and Clemson, fourth straight year. Can't believe that. Canada is out of the world junior, so if you got USA at, uh, uh, for that in hockey, they're the favorites now. So they're the, they're the betting favorites now, I should say. So got to watch out for them. A lot of NHL news and notes. The All-Star game coming. Nikita Kucherov, MVP, has to be. Tampa Bay is a wagon, but we know a lot to be decided in that sport. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page, too. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep enjoying sports.